Morning, everyone. Do you realize we were just doing a little soul singing just then? Wasn't that great? Then sings my soul, my Savior. We're singing to him, and I pray that's what you just got done doing. Welcome, everybody that's here, and of course, those that'll be watching later online. We just love it that you're part of our uh, local body here. Uh, we're starting a new series, which I am super pumped about because it's about the body um, and the church, and we're going to kind of get into that and what that means here in a second. But um, don't let the bones kind of freak you out. You know, it's kind of a, it, it has a purpose here in a minute. You'll figure it out. But uh, it's so fun just to look at God's Word and open it up together and be able to just kind of glean some things that he wants for us. And we're going to look at some crucial things here to this morning. We're going to look at one of them. Um, and then I'm going to, first of all, though, I want to start by kind of talking about a couple um, things about the church. Uh, but let's, before we do that, let's pray together. How about that? Lord, we're, you're so good to us. That's why we sing to you. We uh, thank you, Lord. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you for salvation. Uh, Lord, we look to you this morning through your word. Uh, we we want to hear. So, Lord, would you please uh, give us ears to hear and eyes to see uh, things the way you want us to see them as a, a redeemed body of believers. Uh, Lord, help us do that today. We need your blessing Please be here in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, two things about the church. That's really what I just want to just kind of open up with today. And it's kind of funny because we're going to talk about what the church is not first. Uh, not what it is, but what it is not. The church is not a building. The church is not a pastor. The church is not a nonprofit. The church is not a business. It's not an organization or an event or even a denomination. Uh, it's funny, I was talking yesterday uh, with somebody briefly about the word denomination. The, the word actually means division. So it's kind of weird, you know, like we you know, say we're this denomination or that denomination, we're actually saying we're of this division of the body or that division of the body. And it's unfortunately, but that's the way we are. So I prefer when people ask me here at the journey, what are we, what are we, what kind of church are we? I like saying, well, we're non-denominational because that means non-divisional. And so we really work hard here through our worship time, through our study times, through our Bibles, uh, is to really bring uh, the truth that is inside the Bible. We really do. We work hard on that. And um, so we want to make sure that that's what at least church is not. It is not a building. We don't get wrapped up in it. This is definitely fun to have a building when it's cold outside, right? But it's not the church. What is the church, right? Um, the word church actually translated uh, into English is uh, from the um, Hebrew word means to um, be an assembly. It's actually a assembling of something. Um, the, the Greek word, ecclesia, um, is where we really get that idea of church. And that's what that word means. It just means uh, to be a, an assembly. In our case, it's a local body of believers. Um, but it also can mean the universal body of believers. In other words, any person that has ever come to Christ, uh, past, present, and future. And so that's what the body is. And we're going to be talking about the body a lot. Paul explains what it means to be the church uh, to those who have trusted in the gospel at the uh, church in Ephesus. And I'll read a little bit of that. Ephesians 2, uh, 19, if you would. It says, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. 
So he's really telling us that, in a nutshell, he's using the metaphor of a building in this case, is that we're really just a collection or an assembly of those who have trusted Christ. So today, if you are a believer here and you have come to the, the saving grace of God and received his uh, free gift of salvation, then you are part of the church, and um, that is you. Um, he also uses another um, piece of figurative language, and this is the one we're going to kind of concern ourselves with for the next few weeks, when he speaks to the church in Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, he says, for as the body is one and has many members, but all members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Down to verse 27, he says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, is really comparing, using the, um, the analogy of a body. He says, you guys are a body. And that's what we're going to run with uh, for a few weeks now. We're going to talk about the body in general as a human body, but we're talking about the church. So in the same way that a body has many par um, parts, like arms, legs, fingers, and toes, the church has many members. You're all different. There's not uh, two people that sitting just in our uh, journey church here that is exactly the same. But yet we're considered all one. That he doesn't say bodies, like plural. What he actually says is we're all one body. And even though there are many, we are one, and at the same time, we're very diverse. Uh, we're all different. But yet, just like all the body parts that you have on your body, uh, all those make up who you are. Um, you know, try walking around without your head. Probably not going to work so good. You know, we, we, we need our body parts to make our body uh, what it is. So in this series, that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about Paul's figurative language uh, and use of the body, uh, but to speak about the church. Um, as we all know, a healthy body needs good bones. And so for the next few weeks, that's why you get the scary bones picture up there, is that like any body... It takes good bones to keep all the other things together, right? Like um, our bones are what holds our vitals and protects all of our vital organs. It's, it, it's the strong structure in which our, our uh, muscles are all attached to and cling to. And so that's why, for the, like I said, the next few weeks we're going to look at that. And like an x-ray, we're going to take a look at the bones. And we're going to take a look at the bones of a healthy church. Um, remember, in the same way that a body has many members, arms, legs, fingers, and toes, um, the church has many. And when I look around here and just, as I know most of you and seeing your time and the time you spend here and your talents uh, into the church, it makes perfect sense. Uh, we're all different. We all have these different things, but yet at the same time we contribute to the one. So as we look at our bones, the first thing we're going to be looking at is, do we have a high view of God? Now, you say, that doesn't even sound like that's a bone. But what it is, it is a vital part of what the church is. We need, and we're going to prove that through the text today, a high view, or we should have a high view of God. So why does a high view of God carry so much weight? Um, Bill Bright, uh, who's the founder of uh, the Crew Ministries, which is very uh, evangelical in its uh, views, says everything about our lives, our attitudes, our motives, our desires, our actions, even our words are influenced by how we view God. Think about that for a second. You know, I can remember times uh, throughout my lifetime when I didn't have such a high view of God. And I think about the ways that I thought and the things that I desired and the, the stuff that would come out of my mouth. But when I had a higher view of God, and I hope that that's uh, like me, is that's continuing with you to get higher and higher and higher. But these things begin to change in our lives. That's why a high view is considered part of our bones. 
It's uh, detrimental to the health of the church. So you can imagine if us just locally here at the Journey Church had, did not have a high view of who God was, is. If we didn't, who knows what we would be doing and engaging in and what we'd be saying and how we'd, our attitude to the community would be. So we're going to spend the rest of our time in Isaiah 6. So if you want to flip your tablets, your Bibles, or whatever it is to Isaiah 6, we're going to start right in the very first view and talk about a few things. Isaiah 6, 1 says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So the very first thing I want to point out today is that when we have a high view of God, we will see him for who he is, not who we want him to be. Isaiah was a prophet. Uh, if you don't know that, he was one of what we call the major prophets. Uh, doesn't mean that he was in the army like Major Isaiah. It doesn't mean that. It means really that his book is one of the bigger collections of the prophets. It's just a larger book, so he's a major prophet. And God, through special revelation, would give him, um, would show himself uh, to Isaiah. So when Isaiah saw the Lord in a vision, he saw him sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. Uh, Isaiah sees the Lord. And we learn that through the Apostle John, uh, who uses some of the verses from this uh, chapter 6 in Isaiah later on in his writings, that this is actually Jesus Christ who he has seen. So you think, oh man, this is interesting, isn't it? Isaiah sees Jesus on the throne before Jesus comes to earth, John sees him later in life. He has come to earth and ascended back into heaven. Jesus is always on the throne. I hope you know that. And that's part of our high view of God. Jesus being part of the Godhead, God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, is always on the throne. That is the proper view of who God is. So John says in chapter 12, uh, verse 41, says these things Isaiah said when he saw his glory, speaking of Jesus, and spoke of him. So John's speaking of Jesus here. So we know that in Isaiah, as far as part of the Godhead who's sitting on the throne, we're actually seeing uh, the son sitting on his throne high and lifted up. So the question for this morning is, is this how we see our Lord? It's really a question, a good question, isn't it? Is this how we see him on a throne? A throne that represents his kingship, his lordship? Do we see him as sovereign and in control of all things, including our own lives? Is this our view of God, is the question this morning. Ruler of all things. Is his throne high above all others? Is it? Or do we see him as our co-pilot? Is that kind of our view of Jesus? You know, a co-pilot really just kind of sits in the seat next to you. When we have a co-pilot, we only go to the co-pilot when things get kind of out of hand, don't we? Now, he's there, he sits there for when things go bad, and then we call on him and say, hey, man, you need, to, you need to help. When God is our co-pilot, that means we still have our hands on the wheel. We are sitting in the driver's seat. We are sitting, in essence, on the throne. Is that our view? If it is, he is not high and lifted up. He's sitting next to us. Big difference, isn't there? But is that how we call on our Lord? Is that how we see him as just someone that when we get in trouble or things go bad, then I just look over and say, Jesus, take the wheel. And I know you're thinking about the song right now. But that's, a, and not that I pick apart songs or nothing, but that's a little, 
It's a little rub with me about how that song lays things out. He should not be our co-pilot. He should be on the throne, high and lifted up. That's the proper view. That is the healthy view of God. We have a high view of God when we see him for who he is, sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful. Um, it is good to note that Isaiah's vision, like I said, is prior to Jesus coming to earth. I think that was one of the fun things to remember this week when I was studying for this, is that, man, here's, here is Isaiah seeing Jesus long before he makes his appearance on earth, John sees him later on in a vision, same kind of way, same special revelation, and there he is. He's still sitting on the throne. Isaiah's vision, uh, vision takes place in the temple of God. I hope you kind of see that through this, um, these few verses in Isaiah, the chapter uh, 6 that we're going over. It's a picture of the dwelling place of God. And Isaiah says that the train of his robe filled the temple. Unless you really kind of look at that verse a little bit, that word train really in the Hebrew just means hem. So the, just the hem of, of Jesus' garment filled the entire temple. Just the hem of that. There's nothing, as we know, can contain God. We know that, right? There is no boundary, even though the imagery here is of a temple the idea of is that just the hem of his garment is that much of his glory can fill the temple. Pretty cool thought when you kind of think about being high and lifted up. Just the hem of Jesus' garment is enough to fill the temple with glory. Um, is this how we see the Lord, or do we have a different vision is the challenge. Remember, our attitudes, our motives, our desires and actions, and even our words are influenced by how we see him. We have a high view of God when we see him for who he is and not how we want to see him. But then also, when we have a high view of God, we'll see him, we'll see us as who we really are. And there's a scary thought for this morning, isn't it? Isaiah 6, 2 says this, Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings, and two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the posts of the doors were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. The Lord is surrounded, um, we see this a couple of places in Scripture, by angelic beings or heavenly hosts. We hear about that, read about that in several places in our Bible. They are worshiping and serving him for all of eternity. These are the seraphim that are mentioned here, each of them having six wings. It says that two covered their face, two covered their feet, and the, the other two were left free for them to move about. Um, the reason they covered their faces is they were in the presence of God. And that his glory is so great, his, his glory is so awesome that even the cherubim have to cover their face with two of their wings. Their feet are representative of serving God, of the feet that will be serving him. Those are covered because much like Moses they were in the presence of God, and they are on holy ground or in the presence of the Lord. So this is how glorious our Lord is. This is how awesome. This is how we can't even really put words to it many days, is that this is the kind of view we should have of our God. With the two free wings, they, they can move about, which means that they are able to serve him even though they are worshiping him. Um, I like this because this is something that we struggle with. It seems like we're either in one mode or another as the church. We're either kind of like in worship mode or we're, we get really involved in serving mode. And we have a hard time as earthly beings kind of getting these two to work together. 
Do you remember the uh, visit that Jesus pays to the two sisters? You remember this? Let's go look at it. Uh, Luke 10, starting in verse 38, it says, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, speaking of Jesus, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken from her. I get the Martha thing. I want help with dishes too, you know? But yet she looks over, sees Jesus sitting there, and then her sister, who in her mind should have been helping, she was sitting at the feet of Jesus. If only we could get the attitude in the heart of both sisters into us, right? That we can both serve him and we can minister to him all at the same time. But this is what was going on with the cherubim. They were doing both. Um, one more thought about these seraphim. Um, they didn't rebel when the rest of the gang rebelled. Do you remember that uh, God created the angels? They were there, right? They were in his presence. Uh, the, the most beautiful one, um, Lucifer, he decides to create a rebellion, and he gets a few of them around, and, and they defect. They disobey God. They don't want nothing to do with God. In fact, Lucifer wants to be the ringleader. He wants to be just like God, and he believes he can be. Um, God casts him out of, the, um, pre out of his presence because at that point they became unholy. But what's interesting about the cherubim, is, or the seraphim, excuse me, seraphim here this morning, is that they didn't defect. And they don't even know what it's like to be like you and me. They don't know what it's like to have sin in their lives, to battle and to fight it. But yet at the same time, we see these holy angels, they cover their face at God's glory. They cover their feet at God's glory, who sits on the throne and is high and lifted up. They are crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The world is full of his glory. And then it says, the posts of the door were shaken by the voice who cried out, and the, houses were filled with, the house was filled with smoke. That word there uh, we use as holy, that was used by the seraphim, actually speaks of God's separation. In other words, that's what the word holy means. It means separate, to, to be apart from. Uh, when you think about the use of the world, uh, word three times, the seraphim are actually saying God is separate, separate, separate. In other words, he is so different than us. And there's the, the proper view. I think sometimes when we get the view that God is like my buddy, you know, uh, he is, he's our friend. We're, we're told that in Scripture, right? But at the same time, the improper view is to think that we're like him or that we can even be close to him. If the, the holy uh, seraphim are covering their eyes and their feet and serving God continually, how much more should you and I be doing this? Should this, this should be our view. We're tainted with sin and, and, and we rebel probably weekly, maybe Daily, maybe hourly, <laughs> by the minute. But yet, here we see these holy um, seraphim crying, holy, holy, holy. Our Lord is separate, separate, separate. There's no one like him. God is self-existent. We are not. God is self-sufficient. We are not. God is eternal. We are not. God never changes. We do. God is present everywhere. We are not. God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and on and on and on we could go. 
Don't ever think that you are like God. You fall into the trap in the temptation of the devil when you do that. When we begin to think like we can be like him in control of our lives, now we're back sitting where he's the co-pilot. And that's, we're told, is not the proper view. There is none like him. The doors shook on the temple when I, Isaiah was there, and it was from the cherubim, um, seraphim. I keep getting those two mixed up. Seraphim um, shouting, holy, holy, holy. And I, I couldn't help but think this week when I was thinking through that when one day you and I, I pray, are going to be in the presence of God, and we're going to be probably singing holy, holy, holy. But why we're here when we hear the chants of holy, 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 as it shook the doorposts of the temple, does that shake you? The God you serve is holy. He is separate. There is none like him. Now, the one that you make up and put in your co-pilot seat is, is a different God. That's a false God. That's a God of your own making. The God we serve is holy, holy, holy. Yet without a high view of God, we are pr prone to think that somehow we are equal. Yet we can live our lives as if we are, right? We can live that way. We can live not thinking God is high and lifted up. Isaiah in, uh, verse 5 says this, So I said, meaning Isaiah, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So after Isaiah uh, seen um, God and the cherubim saying, holy, 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 now sees himself as if he is got the worst message a, a, a human could ever get. God is holy, 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 and he anticipates the, word, the worst. He says, woe is me, for I am undone. That word undone there means cut off. So when Isaiah sees the holiness of God, sees him high and lifted up, he realizes who he is. And this is a great thing for you and I to do. We need to realize who we are. The worst thing that could happen in Isaiah's mind was that he was going to get cut off from the presence of the Lord because he was himself was not holy. Woe is me, he says, for I am undone, cut off from the presence of the Almighty King, is what Isaiah had envisioned. Struck with his unholiness and his own sinfulness, Isaiah, Isaiah makes a confession. He says, I am of unclean lips or uncircumcised lips. That, you know, the people of God, when they were circumcised, that made them part of the, the congregation of God, just in symbol. But Isaiah's at this point thinking, I'm going to be cut off from the children of God. I'm unholy. Who can stand before the Lord? He says, and then I live in a mid the middle of a people that are unclean. And this is what Isaiah, within seconds, we, as we read it, He's fearful of being cut off from the Lord. When we have a high view of God, we will see who we really are. See, without seeing God who he is, we think we're all that in a bag of chips. We think we're somebody. We think we're something. And there's where a, a proper perspective of who God is is what we need to have. So remember, we're talking about the body of Christ here. We're talking about us corporately, but we're also thinking about us individually. We're only as good as we are individually together, right? And so we need to be giving God the glory that he is due. When we have a high view of God, we'll be ready for our commission. Although Isaiah envisioned the worst possible situation, being cut off from the Lord, God's grace prevailed. 
Upon Isaiah's confession, his sinfulness, he, under, he understands and he goes to God and says, God, I'm a, I'm a sinful man. What shows up next but God's grace, Isaiah 6.6. 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. One of the seraphim approaches Isaiah with this coal that comes out of the altar of the temple. And if you're familiar with the altar of the temple, you know what was happening on that altar. It's one of the two altars that were, was in the temple. This one he speaks of is where the sacrifices uh, for sin was, they were burnt. Isaiah, this symbolism rings true to him. He knows what, where this coal come from. It comes from the altar of sacrifice. No greater words could ever be heard uh, by man. Your sin is purged. So it went from the very worst news in the whole wide world, you are cut off because you are sinful, spins right around, and all of a sudden you're received. Your sins are purged because of the sacrifices that were on that altar. But we know that these sacrifices that they're speaking of weren't animal sacrifices, although that's what it was used for in Isaiah's day. But eventually what this is talking about, this is about the sacrifice of our Lord. He is the one that is in his presence who is high and lifted up. Yet one day he would leave that throne, come down to earth, and give his body to be sacrificed for the sins of the world for you and for me. And this is the symbolism that's going on here. As soon as that hot coal from that altar touched Isaiah's lips, his sins were purged. So what's so special about that? <laughs> well, of course we see that that, is a, that coal was really representing a final forgiveness of sin. Like you said, the animal sacrifices had to be done continually, didn't they? But when Jesus came, are we sacrificing animals anymore? We don't do that anymore because he came. He's the final sacrifice. He is the once and for all sacrifice. So Isaiah saw Jesus on his throne and lifted up. Isaiah is seeing God for who he really is which in turn revealed to Isaiah who he really was. You can kind of see the progression, which led to confession of his sin. So I hope you're catching on to God's plan is as we see him high and lifted up, it really makes us understand who we are. That's so important for the church. Humility the church could, let's put it this way, the church could use a lot more humility than we have. For some reason, when we, God frees us from our sin, all of a sudden we get really judgmental and we, we start pointing out everybody else's sin. We've forgotten about the one that we were relieved from, the sins that God has forgiven us for. But here what we see is a progression that which led, this led to Isaiah's confession of sin and forgiveness from God. Then one more really amazing thing happens in Isaiah in verse 8. He says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. This is what Isaiah is saying. Isaiah now cleansed, clearly hears the Lord's voice. Once he's been freed from his sin, he clearly can hear the Lord's voice. Think about that in your own life. When we allow God to cleanse us of all of our sin, isn't it, maybe you've experienced this, you can actually begin to hear his voice. You can hear him speaking. 
that may be audible, but just how God speaks to us through the Spirit, right? But that sin has to be out of the way. That <laughs> Isaiah, challenged by God, God says, who will go? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. This is a, a big picture of what the church is. This is the real church. The real church doesn't get on a cruise ship and just waits to get to heaven. The real church serves him and is commissioned by him. But may I say this morning, if we do not have a high view of God, we're going to think all kinds of crazy things. We're going to do all kinds of different things we shouldn't be doing. So as we kind of conclude today and wrap things up at the beginning of our time today, I pose a question to you. Do we have a high view of God? And why does a high view of God bear so much weight? Remember, we're talking about the bones and the, the, all the different body parts and the, the skeleton being the strongest part. Because when the church has a high view of God, we'll all see him for who he is, not who we want him to be. We'll also see who we really are, and then finally we'll be ready for our commission. And you say, our commission? I mean, we've got a job to do? <laughs> There's something we're supposed to be doing? Yes, Matthew 28. You, you probably know this, but Matthew 28, starting in verse 18 through 20, says this. And Jesus came and spoke to them. And this is when um, Jesus is leaving this earth. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. We just read about that. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This, friends, is why we need why it is so critical that we have a high view of God. Because we have a job to do. We're supposed to be teaching others. We're supposed to be evangelizing others. We're supposed to be um, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all his commandments. But see, when we don't have this high view, the church just kind of meets. And we get back to this idea of uh, the church is a box. It's a building. It's an organization. Because it has no purpose. It has no commission. Guys, we want to have the right view of our Lord. So for the next few minutes, we're going we're gonna to do a little remembering. We're going to remember his sacrifice. Remember, he, he come off his throne and he came here in the, in the flesh. And he came for one purpose the first time. And that purpose was to die for the sins of the world. Your sins, my sins. Past sins, today's sins, tomorrow's sins. So what we're going to have you do as the band plays here, we're going to have you walk up. If you want to take part of communion, grab one of the, um, both of the elements and take them back to your seat. And then I want you, while they're playing, I want you to think about a couple of things. Do you have a high view of God? Is that where he is in your life? Or are you still trying to steer and just go to him as a co-pilot and kind of just check in from time to time when things get bad. So as the band plays, grab your elements, come back to your seat, talk to the Lord, and then we'll take all together at one time uh, when the band is finished. So go ahead.
you know the, the background of the Last Supper, it's really um, Jesus sharing bread and wine with his disciples. And then this ordinance uh, is carried out in the early church. You see them breaking bread together and, and uh, different things along the way. But I'm not sure that those disciples that day really knew what was going on. Jesus was about just hours away of being tortured and spit upon and nails driven through his hand and his feet. And I'm just not sure they were ready for all that. I'm not sure that there are days that I am so happy about that in one sense that he had to die because of my disobedience. But yet that's the love and that's the mercy and grace of our Lord, isn't it? That he would willingly lay down his life. Remember, high and lifted up on a throne, he comes down. Matthew 26, 26 says, And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. So what we have here is a remembrance, just a symbol of the broken body of our Lord and the shed blood of our Lord. So what a picture of the body of Christ remembering what the Lord has done on our behalf. Remember, the body of Christ of those who have believed on his death, burial, and resurrection, right? I love taking communion with you guys because we're the church and we're remembering together. So as you take Remember what his great sacrifice means for you and for me. Let's take it together.
Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you just didn't stay in heaven, that you were obedient to God the Father and made the trip to us. You came and got us. And everyone that believes on your act of mercy will be one day singing holy, holy, holy for all of eternity. For that, Lord, we are so grateful. We love you. That's why we met this morning. It's all about you. So as we leave here today, Lord, we just ask for a blessing as we continually remember your great sacrifice and that you are high and lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you go today, remember which seat you are in when you get in your car, okay? Remember which seat you go. As you go, be blessed today. We love you. Thank you. See you next week. You will never run away. You're forever mine. You will never run away. You're by my side. Love takes us by the hand Love